Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. So, today on The Nose, which is our weekly cultural roundtable, we're going to talk about, I think you could sort of say this is the it movie of the first half of 2022 in terms of critical acclaim and, and, and even enthusiasm conveyed on social media and the user parts of Rotten Tomatoes. It's everything, everywhere, all at once. It stars uh, Michelle Yeoh uh, and an excellent cast. It's about the multiverse. And, and it really kind of tackles the idea of the multiverse in a way that most film treatments don't, which is both a strength and a weakness, at least in my opinion. Uh, we'll talk about that with the panel. And also, how does Pride Month get co-opted by big corporations? Is there, there a way that they could, they could participate without seeming as though they were cashing in? More after the news. Welcome to the end of the week, if that's what it is for you right now. I don't know. I don't even know what bubble of the multiverse you're living in right now. They might not even have weeks where you are. Uh, But we are here, and it is the end of the week. It's time to do the Nose, our weekly cultural roundtable. And in the second segment today, we're going to talk about Pride Month and ways in which corporations attempt to cash in on on Pride. Not just corporations, branches of the armed services... Everybody wants in on Pride Month. Not everybody knows how to do it tastefully or even just not horribly tastelessly. We'll, we'll talk about all that. Uh, we'll also make some recommendations at the end. But first, we will be talking about what is, I think it's fair to say, kind of a fusion critical and popular darling in the world of film right now. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, here is a description provided by the studio itself. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once is a hilarious and big-hearted sci-fi action adventure about an exhausted Chinese-American woman who can't seem to finish her taxes, which all of which is accurate but does not really suffice, uh, but maybe nothing ever would. It's the second film written and directed by Dan Kwan and Daniel Scheinert. Uh, They are known as Daniels collectively. Their previous movie, Swiss Army Man, is a movie of which I am a big admirer. Um, So... um, I'm trying to figure out what else I have to say to get things going. Maybe the best thing to do is to play a clip from the movie. So Michelle Yeoh, the timelessly beautiful and wonderful Michelle Yeoh, plays that very tired Chinese-American woman who can't finish her taxes. Uh, Evelyn Wang, Stephanie Su is Joy Wang, her daughter. They have a lot of mother-daughter problems, to put it mildly. Uh, and so you'll hear both of them. You'll hear K. Hugh Kwan, I probably said that wrong, as Wayman Wang, Wang uh, also, who's, who's the uh, husband of Michelle Yeoh's character. Uh, I'm just, this is taking too long. We'll just play the A1 clip here, Katie. You know, he doesn't have to stay. Who's he? Becky. Becky's a she. You know me. I always make that he, she. In Chinese, just one word, ta, so easy. And the way you two are dressed, I'm sure I'm not the only one calling him he. I mean, her, him, I. 
Anyways, my English is fine. And we have Google, so you don't have to come and be a translator. Huh? You stay here and she can cook it. Look, I honestly think it's weird, okay? But Becky wants to help. Right, Becky? I always learn something when I hang out with the elderly. Old people are very wise. Hmm. It's okay. We'll take Hong Kong with us to the meeting. Uh, you and Becky can stay here and decorate. Hmm? Where is he? When can I meet him? <sighs> Customers, eat fast. All right, that might be a little bit hard to parse or understand, uh, but some of it will make itself clear. Uh, they run, uh, the family runs, at least in one bubble of the universe, a laundromat. The laundromat is having its taxes audited. They're having trying to have some kind of party for the laundromat. Uh, but that's just what's happening in this part of the multi-planed um, universe uh, I don't know how to talk about this stuff. So, <laughs> and I've done an entire episode about the multiverse, and I can't talk about it. Uh, with us today, Rebecca Castellani is the co-founder of Quiet Corner Communications and a freelance writer. James Hanley, co-founder of Cine Studio at Trinity College. Mercy Quay, founder and principal consultant for the Narrative Project and also the co-host of Mercy and the Dude, an exciting new podcast with John Dankosky uh, as part of the Connecticut Mirror Cinematic Universe. Um, all right. I actually should probably learn the name of the show, the real name of the show at some point, but I'm enjoying this name too much. So, um, James, you've now watched this movie twice, I believe. Uh, yes. You were the first person ever to talk about it on our show. You saw it early. Um, and, and that suggests a certain, I don't know, Henley-esque enthusiasm for the movie. So maybe share some of that with us. Well, I, you know, I mean, I mean, I'm tempted to say the multiverse is the future of cinema in, in some <laughs> ways. Um, it's really, um, I mean, <clears throat> for a start, this film is coming from one of the most exciting sources of cinema in terms of funding, which is A24, um, which has been funding films uh, right on the edge and has become a real powerhouse um, of, of just changing film culture. Um, I would say, you know, like, like people ask, what is the film about? And they've seen the trailer and it seems sort of over overwhelming. It has the, the, the quality, the trailer has the quality of almost like a superhero movie, but not. You know, it's, it's very fast moving and it's kind of confusing if you're not paying full attention. And even then, it's really um, very new, very avant-garde, very different. And you have to be willing to, I think, do something which I think is the heart of cinema and always has been, which is taking a chance and letting yourself be swept along by something that doesn't necessarily answer questions or stop for a minute to make concessions to its audience. You have to really take from it what you will in terms of your attention and realize that you're not going to see everything on the first viewing. You're not going to understand everything about it. But no, from my point of view, I mean, it's one of the most exhilarating pieces of cinema I've seen in a long time. You know, Rebecca, he makes a, a point that I think you and I in different ways have experienced, although you may not want to go into a whole lot of details about your way. But there's a way in which if you're a little bit tired or a little bit distracted or anything like that, you're going to have a real problem with this movie. I just tried to watch it when I was kind of tired, which is to say I just kind of watched it at any moment in my current existence. But I was like maybe even especially tired. And I, I really at a certain point overwhelmed the, the word that James just used describes me completely. I a certain point I thought I'm lost 
and I don't really care that much whether I find my way back. I'm going to have to maybe put this aside and come back to it. I, I know you kind of at least had a kind of night versus day experience with it too. Yes. Put down the glass of wine, put down your recreational <laughs> cannabis gummies. Do not attend to this film with anything other than a clear mind. Um, I watched the first half an hour last night and I was like, I am not doing well with this. I don't know how I'm going to talk about this coherently on the nose. So I put it aside, went to sleep, came at it with fresh eyes bright and early this morning, and I absolutely loved it. And I completely agree with what James said. You really just kind of have to let it sweep you up. For, for me, it was about the first half of the film. And then once I started kind of getting my bearings, and I, I can't even say I figured out what was going on, because half the time I was simply confused. But that confusion, I think, is part of the device of the film. And if you just let it, let it wash over you and pull from it, what resonates to you, because I think you can interpret this movie myriad ways. And I think depending on, you know, your relationship, your age, where you're at in life, like you're going to have a completely different read on it. But I personally walked away from it thinking, as James said, this is one of the most exciting films I've seen in a long time. I can't wait to watch it again. And I just really can't say enough about how exciting it is to see. And I, again, with James, James just said everything I wanted to say. A24 is doing some amazing, amazing work putting some of these kind of bleeding edge films into the mainstream consciousness. And I think that this is just a shining example of that. All right. So, Mercy, uh, give me give me your just overall take on the movie. Did she? she I, wow. I, just... I was muted. Um, <laughs> yeah. I... <laughs> I heard a door wow, slam. Radio. I heard a door slam. It was very, I thought maybe you'd gone into another bubble of the universe. <laughs> yeah, you know, earlier we were talking about what my jump code was, and I found it in that exact moment. Um, so, Rebecca, I think I disagree. I think maybe maybe the problem w- with my watch of the show, what of the film, was that I wasn't um, inebriated in any way. That I hadn't had a glass of wine. See, different takes. <laughs> different Very takes together. I think I'm really excited. Um, for this kind of piece to be rising to the top. I think, you know, one of the biggest pieces that I took away from it was somehow I became very self-critical. I'm a writer. I have been a writer for years. And in that I thought, man, I would never be able to write something like this. I, I think in ways that are too linear. And even though I think everyone who listens to me on this show knows I am a space uh, connoisseur and I am a space nerd um, through and through and love interdimensional multi-universe play, I still don't think I would be able to write a piece as well done as this. Some of some of the, I guess what I'll do is I'll start with advice for watching this. Mm-hmm. One, come with a completely open mind. Mm-hmm. Do not expect a single thing. The description does not suffice, right? Um, throw out the blueprints for anything that we've said and anything that we will continue to say because my just saying that this is interdimensional and uh, multi-universe, multiverse play does not suffice. Um, I, I would also say watch it with friends and enjoy each other while you're watching it because you'll have questions. Don't don't ask them in the moment. Just or rather, don't expect an answer to them in the moment. Just ask them out loud and come back to it later and enjoy the ride. Right. Buckle up and enjoy the ride because this entire film is a ride. So, you know, one of the things that I, I one of my reactions to this movie, I, I probably am in the camp of people who didn't really love this movie, um, although there's a lot of things in it that I like. If I look at all the constituent parts of it, the acting is marvelous, the special effects, the camera work. I mean, there's all kinds of things that are incredible. For me, to, for me, the 
the fact that they actually more than most filmmakers who attempt anything about the multiverse really kind of almost responsibly tried to deal with the notion of the multiverse. Usually when people make movies about multiple realities, you wind up with sliding doors, you know? You wind up with like, like a couple of things. Mm-hmm. Whereas the multiverse, the whole idea of the multiverse is infinite possibilities. At one point, mm-hmm. the daughter kind of says this. She's standing outside on the sidewalk and things have gone a different way between uh, Michelle Yeoh and this uh, kind of matronly overbearing tax collector played by, by Jamie Lee Curtis or IRS employee uh, and things have gone a little bit differently and the daughter says just don't get too excited about it it's just one of infinite possibilities the problem is if you have to load infinite possibilities into your plot into your film at a certain point you do outstrip the ability at least of my cognition <laughs> to stay with everything that you're doing and so James I did feel kind of inundated in this movie uh, I was the happiest when they got to the point where they they visited a, a part of the universe where there's no life and there's just like two rocks <laughs> sitting there and I thought Ah, oh, some peace and quiet. Nobody is going to hassle me uh, for the next few minutes. I just couldn't be more relieved. But I feel like I feel indicted in a different way from perhaps how Mercy felt indicted as a writer. But as an audience member, I felt like I'm not holding up my end of the bargain. James, I don't know what to do about that. Well, I, I sort of think that what is happening here is taking the whole art of storytelling into a, into a multiverse, into a different uh Place And I think there's a lot of new writing, which is beginning to do that. But, you know, one of the things that reminded me, Mercy was mentioning a space. And I was just thinking, when I first saw 2001, A Space Odyssey, when mm. it was actually in a rough cut, um, I was just so totally blown away. But I didn't I couldn't answer a single question about it <laughs> about and I had known more about it than most people. But. It really was something that um, didn't have any clear answers. It was like something speculative, something very beautiful. You didn't really know where it went. And I find art that takes that tack to be difficult, but really rewarding. Um, Films that uh, completely take you uh, into that direction fall in the same category as the as as the kind of uh, complex writing that some writers engage in to bring multiple threads together and i think that that is something that um i don't know quite how to describe what is what is happening with the audience but people tend to consume art generally, but film in particular, in very certain ways. There are traditionalist storytelling, uh, you know, like Downton Abbey or something like that, that tells a recognizable story and is kind of reassuring on a certain level or alarming in my case sometimes when I see that. But um, then you look at people who are really breaking the envelope and, and, and really trying to take things in a different direction. And the key to following that is not to be intimidated by feeling you have to understand every aspect of the story. Um, It's not intended to be reassuring, and it certainly isn't. And in the hands of very capable directors here and uh, and players who are really up to speed in terms of taking their parts seriously. I mean, even uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's part is, is just like right on the money in a certain sort of small part of the multiverse, which fits into this puzzle. And I think that the more you watch it, if you if you can if you can really absorb it rather than sort of trying to 
pull it apart and and put it into conventional story terms. It just isn't that. You know, um, first of all, both uh, Jonathan McPants, producer of this episode, and uh, Katie Tularski, who's our technical producer today, both want me to point out that this movie is a comedy. We haven't really said that yet. Yeah. Uh, it is a comedy. Uh, it is frequently funny. I don't know. I, I don't want to see this. I, I, I take a risk. Of, I don't want to spoil anything. Maybe I should even say anything like this. Although I, I will just say this. It's after all of the two hours and 20 minutes of special effects and really sort of mentally and imaginatively challenging stuff kind of ends in a very traditionalist place. It's like the opposite of Seinfeld, where they used to say, no learning, no hugs. Uh, there's all kinds of learning and <laughs> hugs at the end. And I don't know, Rebecca, I sort of thought, what kind of ride have I just been on? Because there's sort of a lifetime movie quality at the end. I mean, I think it needed that. I don't think it could have ended in this crescendo and had it be fulfilling. I think to kind of circle it back around to a providence that we're accustomed to in a film, which is resolution, and some sort of catharsis, to me, that felt right. And this idea that we're going to reject all these possibilities and stick with what's familiar, what we love, what we know. I thought that was actually a really nice way to kind of bring this all together. Um, I recently this week, not for any desire to see this film, but I had a long layover in Myrtle Beach and there was a movie theater next to the airport. So I went and saw Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And having watched that on Sunday and this today, I just think the disparity between the treatment of how we deal with like crazy out of hand stories and then leaving it open. And what Marvel always likes to do is just keep making the world bigger and bigger and bigger. In the end of the movie, there's an implication that's going to shake everything. And I really, really appreciated that instead of letting the multiverse sort of reign and fuel our anxieties about what else could be out there, who else could we be to bring it back and ground it in the providence of family and connection and reaching out and joy and choosing love. Like, I think those things could have been really corny in another context. But for me, I felt it really like was a nice full circle moment for the movie. That's a really great point and very, very nicely stated, you know, kind of instead of expanding forever, ultimately, you kind of have to come back uh, somewhere. So, you know, I guess we are kind of run out of time because we're going to go to a, a little pledge break here, Mercy. But, you know, the other thing about this movie is I, I could have understood it being a critic's darling. You know, uh, and then maybe having a little trouble finding an audience. Right now, it's already grossed eighty-two million dollars. <laughs> it's doing now. Some of that money is coming from other parts of the multiverse. Uh, this is the first. You know, usually it's like, how's it going to play in Asia? Well, now it's like you get a whole other bubbles. You got to be able to sell tickets in. But um, yeah, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about like why people are liking this so much? Yeah, I think reality sucks right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think Amen. Right. I think that folks are looking for a, a real um, suspended two and a half hours of, um, you know, a suspension from their worries, a suspension from any concerns, a suspension from reality in all sorts of ways. I think this is ridiculous. I think this film is completely ridiculous. And I enjoyed being in a moment of utter ridiculousness where, yeah, yeah my, my inbox has uh, 375 emails that I have not responded to yet. If, if you are listening to this and I owe you an email, forgive me. I was watching this film. And while I was watching this film, I didn't regret not responding to anyone's email because there's something incredibly soothing about the under art, the underlining um, message, which, I mean, this was the underlining message that I took from it. I don't know mm. if anyone else feels this way. It's that nothing really matters. <laughs> And that the, the, you know, the nature of the universe is that everything is so big that eventually we all just realize how tiny pieces of blank we all are. And mm. in that there should be comfort. 
there should be a real sense of comfort. And it's what you do with the moments after you realize that um, that matter the most. And I think there's something incredibly settling about that message. All right. So, James, I'm going to ask a question in which sort of form and function are married, because I have to get out of this segment uh, in, <laughs> in in 90 seconds. Uh, but there's a way in which I, I don't know. I, I feel like every single thing I watch, I now say that's too long. And, and I wondered about <laughs> this, too. This is you know, a kind of crazy comedy that's two hours and 20 minutes long. And at a certain point, I realized that I had another 25 minutes to go. And I thought, this is getting to be a chore. But I don't know. You probably see that differently. Well, you know, that's a very interesting point, actually, because I do think that one of the great skills that has been largely lost in cinema is really good editing. Um, the influence of a really good editor, uh, which is especially needed when you have virtuosic filmmaking like this. And I would say you know, on some level it could have been shorter, but on the other hand, it, it, because of its virtuosic nature and they, you know, uh, all that we've been talking about, that it almost seems that two and a half hours, wow, that that could, uh, to, uh, to spend two and a half hours in the presence of such extraordinary um, uh, acting and storytelling and, and uh, really sort of uh, completely reasserting your sense of how you see cinema in itself. I mean, what Rebecca said about, you know, the contrast with the Marvel universe, which is sort of kind of, however entertaining it might be, it's, it's uh, become a product. And yeah. this was very human and very, it made me feel very excited for actually exploring it. So I, I went with the two and a half All right. hours. I, I have to assert that form uh, versus function thing and say, <laughs> we got to go to a break right now. Some lovely people will ask you, support the station, support the show. Please do what they ask. It's really not that crazy. <laughs> We're not that crazy. A couple of mammals making gravy. Right? Together, you and me, a multi-species team. We're a family. Culinary. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. All right. Uh, so this is the second segment here of the news today. Uh, thanks. If you pledged, uh, if you want to pledge during our conversation, try to pay attention to the conversation. But the number is one eight hundred five eight four two seven eight eight. If you want to call in a pledge, one eight hundred five eight four two seven eight eight. So with us today, Rebecca Castellani from Quiet Corner Communications, also a freelance writer. James Hanley, co-founder of Cine Studio at Trinity College. Mercy Quay, founder and principal consultant for the Narrative Project and co-host of Mercy and the Dude, an exciting new podcast from the Connecticut Mirror cinematic universe. So um, 
This segment is called Rainbow Capitalism. Uh, it is about the fact that it's Pride Month, and so everybody kind of needs to jump in. This sometimes includes Burger King in Austria offering you <laughs> offering you whoppers <laughs> that somehow or other, because uh, they either have two top buns on both the top and bottom, or two bottom buns on both the top. Is uh, I, I don't really know exactly what they're trying to tell us. Uh, they're trying to tell us something. Uh, the U.S. Marine Corps, in their advertising for a Pride Month, have rainbow-colored bullets. They literally have a picture of rainbow-colored bullets. So. I don't know, James, it's wonderful that we have Pride Month, and it's kind of wonderful that multinational corporations and branches of the armed services want to participate somehow, uh, although, I mean, we wouldn't want them to ignore it or spurn it, although it seems like a pretty narrow choice between that and what they actually do. Well, yes, I, uh, unpacking this is pretty uh simple really and, and complicated on other levels. I mean, I think it's visibility is something that is good, obviously, but the, a lot of the questions that lie behind the advertising campaigns and the so-called rainbow washing is that, you know, how to work, how much do workers get paid? Are there, uh, are there equal benefits for same-sex partners? And, uh, Oh, we might've lost his zoom. Um, He's in Zurich, we should say. <laughs> By the way, James, uh, is, oh, there he is. You're back. Okay, you, you, you went away for a second. Okay. Yeah, I don't know what happened there. Sometimes we have a dropout here. But no, what I was saying is that I feel very ambivalent about it. I mean, I think that um, uh, public presence of, uh, of, of uh, an acknowledgement of the Pride Month, for example, isn't in itself a bad thing. The real question is, what do these corporations actually do? And I think that this is coming in a time when um, the far right uh, and Christian nationalists are actually talking about shooting gay people in the back of the head, that they should be killed. Um, maybe they're on the far extremes, but nevertheless, there's a very hostile atmosphere that exists in the midst of this. And so um, I, there's a very interesting article, actually, that addresses this somewhat by Peter Tatchell, uh, the British activist uh, on Pink News. And um, he discusses this. And one of the controversies also is whether the police should be allowed to march in uniform in pride marches. And considering that, you know, much as there are many uh, uh, police who are supportive, there are also many people who suffer from the at the hands of the police. And so uh, there are all sorts of subtexts that lie beneath this. And I don't think it's enough. Uh, I mean, I think it's kind of sickening to have rainbow bullets from the... Ugh. From the Marines, I, I mean, the mind reels at the thought of that, especially in these current times. But anyway, I, you know, it's complicated as usual, of course. But I think that this is a time when there needs to be truth, and there needs to be a real clear understanding of the difference between the commercial universe and the real lives that people lead. That makes a, a fair amount of sense. Yeah, Mercy, maybe chime in on this. I know you have some pretty strong thoughts about this idea of. I mean, I, I, I like what James is saying, and I think there is a sort of sense, if you can't do it right, then don't do it. Don't do it just to do something. Yeah, I think that we are in a point of our society where everyone wants to be a part of every conversation. And one <laughs> of the biggest pieces that right we tell our partners in the Narrative Project is you don't have to be a part of this conversation. Stay in your lane. No need to swerve into other lanes, right? And 
if there is an organic touch for your organization to talk about Pride Month, then great, right? And sometimes you can find those um, uh, organic touches. Are you an organization doing housing um, reform or housing advocacy? Then yeah, do something for Pride Month because it is known that the LBGTQ plus community often has uh, trouble finding housing. So there's a way that you can wade into those um, conversations or swerve out of your lane. But I think what, what we see here with the, you know, with rainbow capitalism, um, it, which I think is a fantastic phrase for it, is like this, how can we make money by appropriating, you know, a particular demographic or community struggle? And we see the same thing happening with Juneteenth. If I see another, another organization, another product putting out a Juneteenth line, right? I think I might go crazy. I, you know, I, I've been seeing watermelon salads branded oh. as Juneteenth, right? I've been seeing, right, equitable moisturize, uh, moisturize, moisturization for all by Vaseline branded as Juneteenth, right? And what does that mean? Equitable moisture for all? I don't understand <laughs> what that means in the first place, right? And so, I, I, there isn't a need to wade into conversations that aren't yours. And right now, the 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 phrase uh, the the phrase Juneteenth was trademarked by a um, an economic developer, a, a white economic developer, I, I believe, out of um, D.C. to be able to have exclusive rights to use Juneteenth in the marketing of um, certain foods. Right. And we see this kind of commodification of of um, particular population struggles. And I think these populations, these these groups, the um, folks who identify with these, um, you know, months of celebration or days of celebration, they see right through it and it doesn't do anything but harm your brand. Yeah. I'm still chewing over that Vaseline one. Don't 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 like white people need all the moisturizer, right? Like, I mean, if if, bl- if black don't crack, and if uh, as as Tracy Wu Fastenberg recently told me, Asian don't raisin. Um, you know, we're the ones who need the Vaseline. Leave our Vaseline alone. Uh, <laughs> I, I physically had to teach my partner um, uh, Jesse what moisture, why lotion was an important thing. <laughs> All right, so uh, so I know Rebecca, you have even kind of some professional experience with just trying to deal with some of this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think it's difficult because, to James's point, visibility is always a good thing. To Mercy's point, stay in your lane. And I think that this idea that you publicly have to declare that you're for the community and, you know, put a rainbow unicorn on everything. And you've certainly got brands like Budweiser that are commodifying pride. You've got Walmart with pride merch. I'm like, oh, we all know where you donate, Waltons. Like, this is just so transparent. And I think that we as a society, lack the ability to do things quietly anymore. So I've had a client that has had a wonderful reaction to talking about pride and how we acknowledge this. And they're actually going out and doing training sessions and donating to different organizations in the various cities that the company is located in. That's the kind of stuff that I feel is important to do if you're going to acknowledge pride in a corporate professional setting versus just changing a profile picture telling everyone you're an ally, like those those more quiet, less public-facing gestures, to me, I think that's what's important. Educating your workforce on how to be more inclusive, putting money into the right organizations. I mean, those are the things that resonate to me versus soulless corporations. And I just keep going back to Walmart and the Marines with the rainbow bullets, like just 
read the room. Like nobody wants to see this. It's embarrassing. And I think that one of the articles we'd read was talking about how cringe it all is. And I actually found an article from last year uh, from a gay person saying that my favorite part of pride is now just mocking rainbow capitalism. <laughs> and that's actually become like a fun treat just to eviscerate these corporations that think this is, I don't know, doing anything. It's, it's just trying to get your brownie points. And I think we can all see right through that. And I'm, I'm totally with mercy. Stay in your lane. Not every conversation you need to center yourself in. Listen, learn. That's what's more important this month than like making some big public declaration or worse, profiting off of it. Yeah. You know, in a way, one of the other stories we read for this conversation uh, was a piece by Dave Zirin in, in The Nation talking about the fact that uh, Major League Baseball, some Major, Major League Baseball franchises have tried to get in on this, too, uh, in, in, and make a positive statement and maybe be a little bit more inviting to the LGBTQ community by having rainbow flags on their uniforms. But, you know, and in a way, James, this isn't I mean, what happened was five members of, of the Tampa Bay Rays just refused to do it. They said they were refusing to do it on religious grounds, uh, which is a, a little bit uh, uncomfortable, uh, obviously. But in a way, there's a little bit of a truth squatting thing that goes on when you do this. I mean, the United States Marine Corps and, and Burger King and Chipotle and the and Walmart, they never have to get particularly real about to what degree the people who run these companies or play important roles in these companies really do support uh, pride. But but in a way, if you ask a whole bunch of baseball players to wear a rainbow flag and it turns out five of them don't want to, you kind of get the truth in a way maybe you don't get uh, in, in some other places. Well, I think you also give an opportunity for people who are actually bigoted to actually take cover and, and, and be able to say things that wouldn't otherwise be tolerable. And they put it in a context that makes it seem like they're being, you know, that they're being virtuous when they're really not. I mean, it's one of the, I think, the big uh, sort of sinkholes that happens when um, uh, issues like this are commodified, when you're talking about people's rights and being able to live um, the life you want. I mean, uh, what about the practicality of what's going on in the background, the possibility Mm -hmm. that marriage rights might be taken away? Um, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff is going on that, and, and the practicalities of where do people live. Actually, investing your time and money doing that would mean something. The the baseball thing to me is just like noise, an annoying noise because it permits the 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 the, the discussion to be hijacked, which I I think goes to Mercy's point about you know like stay in your lane. Uh, that that really we need substance. We need things that are supportive of people's human rights. We need people to have those discussions and put money into it and not be putting money into electing crazy people who then go and legislate things that nobody wants. Yeah, I just I do want to just sort of say uh, from my own perspective that I'm constantly reminded these days, even though I'm kind of a I'm a pretty big sports fan, but athletes are so they're one of the few groups that they don't even have to pretend to be participating in the values of society because they're athletes, because they're elite athletes, you know, they can like not get vaccinated and just kind of wear it as a badge of pride. Uh, They can't even play in Canada in some instances, but they, they don't get vaccinated or they, in the case of Aaron Rodgers, lie about whether they've been vaccinated. And, you know, I mean, something like this, nobody's asking you to even bake a cake for a gay wedding, which as we know would destroy society. 
society if you did it and invite the wrath of Jesus and God if you were to bake a cake for a, a gay wedding that could never happen. But right now, it's like somebody's saying, just put a little patch on your uniform. You can't handle that. Um, I mean, it really kind of indicates the lack of progress that that has gotten that gets made in this one particular sector of society that they just can't figure right. out. Can't figure out basic stuff like that. I mean, it just come come on, be a human being. All right, we have to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to make some wonderful endorsements, and that's what we'll do. Why are there so many songs about rainbows? And what's on the other side? Rainbows are And we are back. Uh, the technical producer today is Katie Tularski, which is... You know, that's like having the, um, I don't know, the general manager of the team come and pitch batting practice or something. I, I, I can't come up with a good sports analogy, but she's our boss anyway. Cat uh, Pastor is off on an adventure. Uh, so we're going to have to find people to do what Cat usually does. Uh, and uh, producing today's show, as usual, is Jonathan McPants, who pretty much always produces episodes of The Nose, our cultural roundtable. Our guests today, Mercy Quay uh, and Rebecca Castellani and James Hanley. We are going to, I just want to say, James is in Zurich. A couple of days ago, we did our annual Song of the Summer show, and Brendan Sullivan, one of our uh, regular panelists and kind of part of our show family, he was somewhere in the south of France. I don't even think he ever said where, where he was, but we're getting more international here. I think that's a good thing. All right, so time to make some recommendations. Mercy, why don't you go first? Uh, I, I can't wait to see what space thing you're able to pull out of the cosmos for us. Wow. I did not prepare a space recommendation. Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, you already, you've already already endorsed uh, For the, All Mankind I anyway. Gonna say, I was going to say, the, the, only, the only reason I, I did that was because I think everything, everywhere, all at once is space-related yeah. enough. I think McPants will disagree with me or, at the very least, will tell me that if I, if I endorse um, everything, everywhere, all at once as a space related film that I then have to endorse Star Wars, but I still refuse. It's not, it's it, space opera does not uh, have anything to do with the universe or space. So everything, everywhere, all at once, watch it. I think it's amazing. I'll also go ahead and endorse TEDx New Haven, um, which is an event that's happening tomorrow, um, bringing together 15 speakers from around the country to the Schubert Theater. Um, and it is slated to be a really great time. It is the first time uh, New Haven has had a TEDx event. And so I'm very excited to attend it. And you all should be as well. All right. TEDx in New Haven. Is there, did you mention a venue, a locale? Where do you go to TEDx? Schubert. Schubert, Schubert, oh, Schubert. Okay. Uh, so uh, some, who's going to go next? Rebecca Castellani, why don't you uh, go next? Okay. I do have a space endorsement. Ah! So you're covered. God, gotcha. thank you. Thank you you're so welcome. much. <laughs> Our uh, guys in the van are in sync today. Um, my endorsement today is probably no surprise to Colin, Sea of Tranquility ah, by Emily no. St. John. Did I, did I get it before you did it? Uh, I think I, I might have already done it, but that's okay. Well, it's fantastic. Um, as the name suggests, it deals in lunar colonies, but also time travel, simulation theory, and like all of Emily St. John Mendel's books, the interconnectedness of all of us. It is beautiful, contemplative, not super long, sort of like a everything, everywhere, all at once. You're going to want to you know, take this slowly, let it wash over you, maybe give it a second read, but it's an absolutely fantastic follow-up to her other novels, Station Eleven and The Glass Hotel. So Run, Don't Walk, Sea of Tranquility. Um, And my second endorsement, we almost today talked about the resurgence of Miss Kate Bush uh, because the TikTok teens are all about running up that hill. And I'm just going to make a quick pitch for Kate Bush's truly most iconic song and more importantly, iconic music video, Wuthering Heights. So if you're a teen that's been running up that hill, 
run to Wuthering Heights. I promise you the interpretive dance alone is worth it. Right. And uh, I won't divulge any confidences that were exchanged here as we're getting ready for the show. But I will just say that Rebecca has what you might call hands-on experience with trying to execute (laughs) that particular dance. Uh, All right. So, uh, James Hanley, how about you? Well, I would definitely second that recommendation from Rebecca about uh, Kate Bush. Uh, uh, I think that's, uh, that, that's fantastic. But um, anyway, uh, a book I wanted to recommend was Love Marriage by Monica Ali, who wrote the book Brick Lane. Um, this is really an amazing piece of work. I, I really love it. Monica Ali's Love Marriage. And the other thing I wanted to mention uh, was the uh, final weekend of the Out Film Connecticut's LGBTQ Film Festival, which is partly at Cine Studio and partly downtown. They have an incredible program this year, really good, uh, with amazing films um, in on the big screen in theaters, but also um, there are streaming options, a really amazing uh, program. It's at outfilmct.org. Um, I, w- I do want to share Rebecca's incredible enthusiasm for a Sea of Tranquility. Uh, as much as I, I, I loved Station Eleven, I loved it in a very different way. Uh, yeah. and, and I feel like this is the book where you want to – what what should happen is uh, Emily St. John Mandel should make herself available to go for a walk with you. You know, after you read the book, you just – could you meet me at the reservoir? We'll just walk around the loop because I really need to talk to you. Um, and cause it's sort of like that. There's something incredibly personal about this book, which in many ways is trafficking in a lot of pretty heavy ideas. Uh, and That's such a great description of it. That's exactly what I felt like doing after I finished it. Yeah. She will um, – if you tweet at her, she often will answer if you're you oh. know a nice person. Um, what I'm going to – this is not exactly an endorsement, but it sort of is. I'm going to endorse the presentation that was made last night in connection with January 6th. Uh, One of the things that I think that for a long time, policymakers, uh, people who lead and attempt to run the country have struggled to understand is that so much happens on television. Watergate lived on television. 50 years ago, Watergate lived on television. didn't live much of anywhere else. Uh, You know, uh, uh, Ali North was like somebody who was sort of a certain way on television. And so the Iran-Contra scandal unfolded partly as... Uh, the whole act of Ali Stone, uh, of Ali North, not Ali Stone, Ali North being on television. And and this, they've, they at least understood that last night, that you have to present. I mean, it's a little bit disturbing that you have to do it and that you have to do it in a kind of a polished way. But you have to understand the medium that you're really using to communicate with people. Um, most of us were not there on January 6th. There's no way we can have it as part of our lived experience. We can only experience it on television and by reading about it and other stuff like that. But I thought it was extremely smart <laughs> to do it that way. Uh, this obviously is a very unusual event also in the sense that um, the people who participated in it, participated in it, you know, in many cases made their own video records of it. And then there were police with body cameras. There turned out to be an embedded documentarian. Uh, and so the use of all that uh, and, and the understanding that communicating the significance of this moment uh, and, and the danger that was embedded in this moment, the, the how close we came uh, to, to something far, far worse, something where some of the leaders of our country might have been just torn limb from limb uh, from the looks of things. Uh, this is the only way that you can do it. And the other thing that's amazing about it is like <laughs> they've kind of done a little bit of an everything everywhere all at once. And the, the, like these quick cuts to 10 seconds of Steve Bannon, 
10 seconds of Jared Kushner. Yeah. Nobody will ever be able to play Jared Kushner in the movie because no, there's no character actor who can be the kind of unapologetic weasel that Jared Kushner is. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and Ivanka, somebody on uh, uh, on Pod Save America said that she had she had her Zoom filter set for Madonna on TikTok. There's just two eyes and two <laughs> nostrils. Uh, and But, I mean, the whole thing was... At the in the uh, in some ways kind of amusing, but mostly deadly serious. And from a kind of McLuhanist perspective, the only real way to tell this story. So, so good try. Anyway, I don't know if it was a perfect try, but it was a good try. All right. So thanks to this wonderful panel, Rebecca Castellani, Mercy Quay, and James Hanley, uh, we are now going to go to our final break of the final day of the final we uh, a final pledge of the fiscal year, all that stuff. So when we do, and when the nice people come. Please call 1-800-584-2788 or donate online, ctpublic.org. They're going to tell you why. Talk about everything as a matter of fact. Oh, yeah. Talk about Torrington, Vernon, Danbury, Waterbury, Oliveberry, Woodbury, hitting on New Britain, Vernon, I already said that one, Avon, Farmington. Yeah, 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 yeah. 